my need for not having been anywhere for months of the pandemic, and that's completely against my nature, asked my sister if I could come and pot out with her, and her husband was like, well, she's not going to come out here and sit on the couch. We're going to make this Whitmore Sisters record. It's the Whitmore Sisters today. I'm Jamie Green, and this is Trading Fours. everyone welcome back to another edition of trading fours i'm your host jamie green and today we've got eleanor and bonnie whitmore on the podcast they've got a new album out called ghost stories and we're gonna delve into that new release big time for my new listeners a quick reminder that this podcast is all about casual conversations with musicians about their craft it isn't an interview per se that's why i named it trading fours because in jazz each musician trades a four in a solo, meaning four measures of a solo before passing it off to the next musician. I purposely do not write questions out ahead of time. I want to be focused totally on the moment and listen to what my guests have to say and then respond and react to their thoughts in kind. That's what great jazz improvisers do when they solo. And yes, I know I'm not there yet as a host of this podcast, but I do feel that I'm improving. And I am proud how far the podcast has come in less than two and a half years. For today's guest, our conversation delves heavily into grief and loss because the Whitmore sisters have lost some close friends and collaborators. And let's face it, we all have lost a world that we knew before COVID. We are almost at two years into this and nothing is close to back to normal. For musicians, this is even harder for their livelihood is dependent on live shows and creating a connection with their crowds with interaction. And as you will soon hear, those connections are still hard and have some real ramifications. The new album is called Ghost Stories Again. It's a great examination about loss, grief, and perseverance. So let's get started. Here's my conversation with Eleanor and Bonnie Whitmore, the Whitmore Sisters. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't know what it is about siblings' voices that just intrigue me. And I think it's really cool. When I heard you before I even saw your song list, I was like, oh, it's kind of an Everly Brothers almost kind of a vibe. And then you covered an Everly Brothers tune. <laughs> but it's not even an Everly Brothers tune, though. It's a Paul McCartney tune. That's yeah. True. You guys are tricky. So, um, <laughs> Is this something you've always wanted to do? I saw in the, in the notes that were sent to me, there was a, a sibling divorce. I've got three siblings. I'm divorced to two of them right now. Yeah, we all go through it. So so what, was it COVID that made you decide to do this finally? Or was it just time to it do it? It was a catalyst for sure, because I think both of us have, you know, basically before the pandemic been working our butts off and touring and couldn't find the time where we were going to be in the same place at the same time to make it happen. So my need for, you know, um, not having been anywhere for, you know, months of the pandemic and that's completely against my nature. You know, I asked my sister if I could come and pot out with her and her husband was like, well, she's not going to come out here and sit on the couch. We're going to make this Whitmore Sisters record. So uh, really, uh, we kind of blame and also uh, uh, thank Chris Masterson for making it come together. 
No, that's great. So it uh, it's it's a great album. I, I really really dug it a lot. Um, but it, I, I don't mean this to be like negative. But man, you guys are you broke my heart a couple times in this album. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's fine. But uh, I'm going to just read this. Everybody dies, suffering around. Love can pull you through, and fear can take you down. The friends we leave behind is what defines us. How many will there be when we're gone? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it, you know, it I sounds think, prettier when you sing it, though. But you I, don't want me to sing. <laughs> I think the art of writing a song is being able to juxtapose uh, some really cutting lines like that with a pretty melody. It kind of takes the edge off for the listener and makes it a little more accessible. And that was kind of like the the template for the record, you know. Um, and that was, you know, we had just lost a really good friend of ours, George Reef, and um, we needed to celebrate to celebrate him. him. And George, was he the bass player? Yeah. Um, yeah, because he played with Ian Moore and a bunch of people, right? That's how yeah. I know who he is, right? Yeah, he was a fixture around Austin as a bass player and a producer. He performed with the Courtyard Hounds and uh, Chris Robinson and the Brotherhood and many other acts and um, produced our third Masterson's record, um, co-produced. And um, yeah, he's he's very missed. And um, he was my bass guru, so I mm-hmm. definitely... You know, I think it was the Jim Morrison line that nobody gets out of here alive, right? Um, and as we get older, it seems like these stories happen more and more. Over the past few years, especially, I mean, I like 2016 stands out as like just so many people that we lost just as, you know, juggernauts in our life in the music industry. Um, you know, it started with Bowie and and uh, Prince. Prince, yeah. You know, it was just, it was kind of one thing after another. Petty was that year. No, I think he was the next year, but that was Leonard Cohen. Yeah, there were a lot of big losses, um, you know. Anyway, that was just like, that's the the year that sticks out to me as like the beginning. And it's just been like a continuous thing for the past, you know, five years or whatever. And um, I think also putting a pandemic on top of it just makes it another, you know, stepping stone of, we're all going through this and we're all experiencing loss in one form or another. And uh, it was kind of cathartic to be able to do a record that was kind of uh, inspired by that. Well, you know, yesterday was Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like we're all living the movie, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> because the days are pretty similar. Yeah. Um, we're going through the stages of grief with what the world had been before. Yep. Yes. And how do you deal with it? Yeah, I think it's a lot to process. And I think that's kind of where we find inspiration in songwriting is being able to kind of use use the, it as therapy, use the song yeah. as a way to process what's going on around us. And I think that that makes it accessible to other people because they're they're going through it, too. We're all going through a lot. Yeah, it's, I think it's one of those things, too, where I think it hits everybody at different times, too, right? Like, I, I felt like I was doing pretty well. <laughs> You know, as much as you can, right? Linear when you go through grief, though. So I think that's a mistake that we do for ourselves. Like it, it's a, it can come at all different times. But the thing I think that music does that helps, it's in that therapeutic way. I mean, it's like what you were saying. The lines they sound really cutting, but when you're able to sing them and provide a melody that may even have a lullaby effect to it, you know it gives more comfort than it than and it allows you to process the grief i think and more so than just daily onslaught yeah and i i read the lyrics just because they really stuck with me Hmm. um 
And like I said, you didn't want me to sing it. That would have been horrible. <laughs> the, the interview would have been over, right? <laughs> Who's this schmo in Kansas City singing to us? I would. Uh, <laughs> I got to back up a little bit because I come from a musical family too. My dad was a, a jazz. Uh, he he played trumpet and sang. And Kansas uh, City is known for the jazz. Yeah, very much so. My dad was, you know, a big band guy. Uh, oh, sweet. 40 years older than me. So almost two generations. But when I heard that you played in your dad's daddy and the divas in the band, I just had a huge smile on my face. <laughs> yeah. so, so how are you lunking around a bass when you're nine years old, man? A bass is pretty big. I wanted attention and that was my option. So uh, I, you know, I, I joke because uh, everything that was an E had to be transposed once I got my growth spurt in. I could actually reach all the way down. But yeah, you know, started on a little PV with a pig nose amp. Blunking around with dad. So where where did you actually grow up in Texas? Which part? In Denton. So jazz was definitely prevalent. Yeah, University of North Texas. Mm-hmm. I had uh, Gogo Ray on. I don't. You guys don't probably don't know who he is, but he's a graduate of uh, University of North Texas, and he's a drummer here in town. It, it's really well known. Yeah, it has been for a long time. Yeah, it was a great party town. Was it? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of really great music that was happening at different houses that we could oh the brazilians are having a party let's go over there <laughs> did you go to school there then or no uh i only went for like a semester but mostly i i graduated eleanor graduated high school there and and i went to high I, school there too. i went to tcu in fort worth okay how'd you like that uh, i got a scholarship uh met a lot of great friends there got my degree i don't know how much it helps me because i don't play a lot of classical music these days but um, it was good training. I had a great teacher and um, it, it was it was a good place to go to school. Well, it's good. You know, your dad being Air Force pilot and folk musician, those aren't two things that you usually hear together. Right. right? Navy. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Dad. Sorry. Navy pilot. <laughs> He's going to come strafe my house now, isn't he? he just uh, I just it's made a, a horrible mistake. I'm sorry. Just, Navy pilot. Growing up like the, the Navy pilots versus the Air Force. Well, we we're all friends or whatever, but it's just hilarious how they would always be like, well, no, the, no. The, the Navy pilots always took a lot of pride in being able to land short, being able know? to land short. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that the boat can only be so long, right? You can't yeah. have a. Right? <laughs> we actually have, top gun. There was I watched a, it. There was some footage that my dad had of of landing and and taking off on it, and it's it's pretty intense. He, yeah, he stuck an eight millimeter camera on his uh, on his helmet. Well, that, that's what. It, so this is fascinating to me because the stereotype about pilots are is yeah. that they're real macho and kind of you know, I mean, and not just the. Top are you able guy. to curse? What's that? Are we able to curse on your show? Oh, yeah. Curse all you want. They have a bit of asshole in them. Yeah. They they vary in degrees of like the offset of the rest of their personality. Yeah. Yeah. But our dad has a sensitive side. Yeah. But but folk music is all about feelings. Exactly. Well, the other caveat is that both mom and dad worked at Six Flags over Texas and and he was an accompanist. My mom was a singer. So that was kind of how they got to know each other. So it's just another... Another <laughs> well, that's really cool. The hottest I've ever been in my life by far was Six Flags Over Texas on a, you know, August summer vacation with my family. And I think it was about 130 degrees on the asphalt. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing like the school trips, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So how, I mean, I, I assume you're, you're getting good feedback. It's been out for what, a 
two weeks? How long has the album been out? Gosh, week and yeah, a half. I guess, or, I guess, no, it is coming up on yeah. two weeks. You're right. <laughs> so, so, so what are you hearing back? What are people digging? What are they telling you? They seem to like it a lot. They, it's also the surprise, like, oh my God, I can't believe how much I like this. And you're kind of like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been making records for a long time now. Thanks for noticing. Um, no, but I think that there is something really uh, awesome. We kind of have a superpower together as sisters um that is i i guess possibly greater than we are by ourselves i don't i don't know two is greater than one we make and, um, we combine to make one voice you know that's the i don't know there there is something just extra magical with the sibling aspect and the fact that when you also find somebody that you can work well together and that's the thing is we've we've worked well with each other over a long period of time this is the first time we've done a collaborative and uh and that was also surprisingly easy so it's like it just makes everything else seem natural um, and simpatico. Yeah. It's the response has been pretty overwhelming. Yeah. So we're, we're stoked that people are liking it. So if the world ever opens up again and we aren't like scared shitless, since I can curse on my own podcast, do you want a tour? What do you want to do? Well, we oh, have, we, a, we lot have of stuff on, on the books. Um, we uh, have rescheduled our European dates for like the sixth time or something, and we're going to be over there in uh, Mar in May. May. Um, but in the springtime, uh, we'll be through the Midwest. Um, I think and we're, we're coming Kansas through Kansas City. City in maybe mid-April. I'll have uh, gonna... yeah, look that up. I'm, I'm pretty up. sure. Yeah, and it, I think it's uh, right after Texas. Yeah. Is, it, is it knuckleheads where you playing? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, that, we that. love our knuckleheads. <laughs> You've been there before then. Oh yeah. Uh, we play, I think I've played every stage I've, there. I've played probably every stage there with various artists, uh, either with, I think Slade Cleaves was the first artist that I played there with. And probably, Mine was Hayes. Probably played there with Susan Gibson. Mm, um, yeah. We, uh, uh, I've played there with Bruce Robinson and John uh, Graham a few with, times. With Steve Earle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, small, they take a care smaller of stage uh, with the Mastersons and the Whitmore yeah, sisters. So. Yeah, I think they actually. Uh, oh, on the ninth, April ninth is when uh, we're going to be in Kansas City. I, I will write, or write it down because I will come out. Uh, Knuckleheads always has a good reputation from musicians I know that play there that they do treat you well. Yeah. They do. Um, I'll tell you a trick. It's really tricky to be touring uh, during COVID, and it's kind of you know mm -hmm. we want to be able to support these clubs and keep them open because they've suffered so much through the pandemic. But, you know, a lot of our fans aren't even comfortable coming out yet. And then sometimes the ones that are comfortable aren't doing the things that we're hoping they're doing to keep us from getting sick. And a yeah. lot of artists are having to cancel dates because they're getting COVID out on the road. And I really wish that um, this had never become political. There shouldn't be anything political about a virus that affects everybody. Yeah. So um, we hope that people will be safe and not come to our show if they are not doing the right things. And um and come and enjoy it if they are. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. Um, so I was born in 1968 and my wife was born in 1971. I have a scar for smallpox. Mm -hmm. She does not. Mm -hmm. That's because we eradicated it. Right. That's right. Funny how that works, right? Science. <laughs> I love science. There's something so wonderful and reassuring. Just, I know we could go down a rabbit hole with this for, forever, but it, it's. We just want to get to a place where we trust each other again, and and we can enjoy each other's company without you know a, a deadly virus that you know may or may not show up to the party. Yeah, I think that's 
<laughs> totally. It's not too much to ask for. Um, so when you, we, are you in 95 in it until you're on stage? How you, yep. how you, how you trying to be safe? How, how is it working? That's basically what we're doing. I, I, we keep a lot of rapid tests on hand so that we can test before we want to, you know, visit somebody's new baby or, um, I go and do a PCR test about once a week when I'm doing my regular uh, in-person show. shows. So we do stuff. test a lot. Um, when we're in the club, we're wearing our K95s and you know, it's, it's tricky because it depends on what bubble we're in. If we're out with Steve Earl, um, you know, we have to keep things pretty tight and I'm not going out to the merch booth to, to meet people just because it's more exposure and there's so many people mm. in our bubble, but, um, you know, at a smaller level, when we're out with the Mastersons and the Whitmore sisters, and I'm selling the merch. You know, we're selling our own merch, yeah. so we're kind of having to be out there in the masks, um, selling the stuff ourselves. Well, we just did a couple shows with the Jayhawks in Chicago, and everybody was masked, and I was masked, and there is, you know, an easy way to communicate with each other without too much strain. And the the Old Town School of Folk Music did an absolutely fantastic job of you know asking everybody to do the right thing, and everybody. It was, a, you know, sold out shows. Everybody kept their masks on. I felt safe performing and, you know, but I, I, it's it's really frustrating because I'm actually a long hauler. I had COVID in March of 2020 and I don't ever want it again. And it's it's hard for me not to judge the person in the front row that's not wearing the mask when I don't want it again and I have long lasting health effects. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's about <laughs> trust. We just want to be able to trust that everybody is uh, there for the right reasons. You know? Well, let's back up a little bit. So are you still having COVID long haul symptoms or did it go away for you? I am. Um, my heart has been doing some weird stuff. I've gotten a few tests done and um, no uh, diagnosis yet on that. Um, and my taste and smell is still impaired. The tip of my tongue has been numb for two years and uh, it's it's weird. Um, I don't recommend the disease for anybody that can mm -hmm. help it. Yeah. Well, I got Lyme disease and uh, yeah. Babesia and Bartonella actually in the Texas Hill Country. Oh, um, and I try to tell people, you don't want something. I've never been the same. I mean, I can have a life, but I have to be super careful. I have to really watch myself. I have to take a nap every day. I mean, this is 15 years ago. Yeah. Wow. So all these things. So when you, you told me that, you know, as, as a Lyme disease long hauler. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel for you. I feel for anybody. Like, I, I don't, you know, that's the thing. I think it's weird. It's like, nobody wants them. I'm not wishing for anybody to get sick. I'm wishing for people just to step up and do the right thing. Like I don't get any enjoyment out of watching people being ill. Yeah. Right. I think the thing is, is that there's just so much fatigue. I would imagine a lot of people listening to this conversation are just like, <laughs> might even be checking out at this point because yeah, like, we we're all so it. tired of Yeah. But I think the argument it, also comes down to the ability to empathize with another person. You shouldn't have to have the experience yourself to be able to say, I don't want to, I don't want to perpetuate this for somebody you. else. Yeah. Like totally. And that, where that's where we are as fatigue goes too. It's not just the fact that like we're still in it. It's that empathy is running thin and I'm ready for some other people to find some empathy. I'm tired of people not being empathetic and thinking outside of themselves. Yeah. Well, I totally get it. Let's talk then a little lighthearted. Let's, let's bring the people back. Um, I can't remember which sister it was that was talking about Paul. Mac let's talk about Paul McCartney's bass play. Oh, yes. yes. That's as lighthearted uh, as it gets. Mm -hmm. Um, have you have you experienced the whole get back 
Uh, yeah. Did you watch all of it? I have. She hasn't yet. I'm almost. It's wow. It's really long. It's like so fascinating. <laughs> and I love it so much. But I um, love all of the little things though. like, I think somebody else will probably watch it and be like, oh, this is boring. But I'm like, no, this is the fabulous stuff. This is how it happened. You know, <laughs> I just don't know how they got all those sponsorships and they didn't manage to have a single guitar stand. in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, so man. Maybe they, I, I, you know, it's, it's funny to watch it. And, you know, I think everybody has their favorite in the Beatles going in. Um, but I was I was laughing because it's like Paul McCartney. He's like, you know, and I, I love George Harrison's guitar playing. I'm not slag his guitar playing or anything. And he wrote some brilliant fine songs, yeah. but he's doing I Me Mine. And then McCartney's like, OK, I got Let It Be. I got two of us. I've got, you know, he had like Long and Winding Road. I've got Golden Slumbers. I got, and I was like, Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah. That guy never quits. Like, he's the one that's just like, okay, I have all of these things and we should do all of them. And I was like, God fucking damn it. Like, any other band, George would have been the lead singer. But because right. there's John and Paul, it's just, it was hilarious kind of watching it. And you forget how young they were. I know. 28. Can you imagine? No, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But 28, and that was 10 years of the Beatles. Like, what the <laughs> hell? Okay, I'm going to. I'm going to take it back. No, I, I think it's fun to talk about it because I think it's the uh, the description that I'd always heard was that they hated each other. It was miserable and it sucked. And and then you watch it and certainly there's, you know, George left for a while. I mean, we're not going to sugarcoat yeah. it, but for the most part, they seemed like they were having a really good time. It's kind of like you're seeing you're you are seeing why that was the case, but it's not as dramatic as it's been made out to be. So it was kind of nice to see more of the 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 joking, the insider jokes. Obviously, there's some like insults that are going back and forth that we're not privy to. Right. But but there definitely is this sense of, you know, brothers brotherhood between them right. and love for each other but eventually like even in the sense of us having a divorce like you just have to you know take a step back and i think i think there probably would have been a, a a reunion at some point in time had that been an option totally i think live aid in 85 right and i even like the as much as anybody's like joked or or you know bitched essentially about yoko's influence like I, I really actually appreciate her more after watching it. Hmm. Well, John's the person, if you have a problem with Yoko being there, John's the one you need to take it up with. Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. It's not her. She's not doing anything. No, it's, it's his just... band and his workspace. It's not hers. Right. But I don't think that she acted like it was. I think no, that but... being invited to. Well, you know, know there's always a certain sect of people that will gleefully show you their misogyny it doesn't take oh, yeah. much right right <laughs> well and also the, i'm sure there was a lot of um anti-asian sentiment implied oh, shit, that's there. still going on There's another thing so <laughs> right i mean we still have that bullshit going on and it's 2022 yeah. right so uh as far as people are hearing you for the first time and getting to listen to you i will put in the show notes the the date here in kansas city so people who like it and want to come see you live. That's great. But if they're wanting to follow you, is, are you Twitter people? Are you Facebook people? Are you Instagram people? What's the best way? We are all on above. all of the above. Even uh, TikTok. At the Whitmore Sisters on Instagram and Facebook. We are uh, at Whitmore Sisters on Twitter 
and uh, all of our tour dates are up on the whitmoresisters.com and we even have a TikTok account um that we're figuring out because we're elder i'm an elder millennial i'm gen she's x. gen x so, so. i'm gen x so <laughs> my kid got so excited he's like dad i you know, I have college two kids my older kids in, in college and he's like i forgot what he did on TikTok, and he got like five hundred thousand people to, to <laughs> Wow. Wow. Yeah, you just don't get it. You don't understand. I'm like, no, I don't. Because I'm 53 years old. Consult with him on what we need to do with our TikTok. Yeah, maybe you need to. He's he's a really good singer too. He'd probably love it. He he does all these things. And and I'll be like, it'll be like when when he's home, it'll be like two in the morning and I hear him do something over. And I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, why? It's like, oh, he's doing the TikTok video. Mm -hmm. He's doing several takes of it to make sure it's all of the parts. Right? right it's a different world man totally so do you like it or is it just something you have to do as part of the job? i'm terrified of it i obviously like when other people do it and share them i don't mind posting and interacting with the people that are interacting with this but i don't really want to be surfing around on tiktok like it's kind of like the home screen the home is screen like actually anxiety freaks driving there's, you know there's, it's just a lot of the same like there's movements whole, happening but it's like a wall of them it's, and a, it's flashing it's like all these squares of the same people doing that selfie gesture that is just repulsive and and they're all like, really pulsating well. and and gestating in the same way and uh, it's just with the fish lips and, and she just wants uh, to scream get off my screen and closes the app yeah i just yeah. i just i can't be on there I feel I'm much happier when I'm off my phone. Do you guys yeah. say that? Me too. I think uh, I, I I have grown um, uh, animosity towards it for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm an analog woman, so all this digital Ooh. stuff kind of stresses me out in a way. So, so when you record, you like to do everything analog? Well, we do uh, things on Pro Tools. Um, you know, we've, we definitely have made uh, several records on tape. Um, I like the the tra- how the transients get slowed down. We have this an analog, analog plan- planner. That's um, that's how we roll. Which is uh, made by Betty Sue, the yeah. Workplay Everyday Planner. And um, Betty Sue of Austin, Texas, Betty Sue? Yes. Okay. Yes. She's um, my bestie. She, uh, her, her uh, booker, manager, whatever, is my cousin. Oh, awesome. Laura, Laura Thomas. Yeah. I love her. That's my first cousin. So <laughs> cool. Small, Small world. world, man. Uh, I think analog's cool. I could see why Pro Tools, though, because I mean, yeah. it gets really hard quickly analog, but it, it made you be really economical, right? When you would go into the studio, because mm-hmm. you know you don't have 200 takes to do because tape devolves over time. The more you. Also- takes more time because you have to rewind the tape machine mm-hmm. if you're going to do another take so it gives you a little bit of a moment to kind of collect yourself and think about what you're going to change on your next time around and then you know digital has just made it if you're a guy on the computer is too fast or i should say woman on the computer is too fast um you know you're just throwing up another playlist and go and um i think with the digital age you I, we have to remind ourselves to slow down yeah, watching going back to the documentary on the Beatles, <laughs> that was a little painful, you know, and constantly being able, Len, right? <laughs> Are we ready? <laughs> and it was probably eight track. What do you think it was? Sixteen it was, at the most. Was, I thought it was eight track. I thought those. I yeah, thought, yeah, they just bounced all the stuff. Yeah, each it's insane. Each time. And all the chords. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
I would have, I would have sprained both ankles. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been a lot of fun. I really like the album. Um, and it's really good. I, I, I hope you both take care of yourself. I know it's hard times and we're just trying to slog through and make the most of it. But, uh, I think people who are creative can get us out of our head a little bit. So, um, I love what you did and I, I certainly enjoy anybody who can put music together and, and make something and, and have a statement and make something that's also both what we talked about beautiful and also sad at the same time. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I know you guys have had a lot of, uh, we won't have to go through all of it, but you've had a lot of loss lately and it's part of life, but it's super hard too. Yeah. And I think uh, I, our main point with a lot of these songs is to, to really celebrate and explore some of the, 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 you know, the celebration of someone's memory and keeping them alive um, through our songs. And I think that like the ballad of Sissy Porter, Sissy and Porter is kind of an example of that, you know, just Chris Porter may be gone, but, you know, I will always have his stories elaborate as they were <laughs> to come from. And to make to, us laugh. You know? He was yeah. a really funny guy and <laughs> I still laugh even though he's not around. I love being able to recall people's laughs. That's one of my favorites, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I actually found my dad had recorded himself playing at a country club in Norfolk, Nebraska in like 1957. And I, I, I was real to real and put it on. And the thing, obviously hearing him play and all that was great. But, but in between songs, I heard him laugh. And that was the first time I'd heard his laugh in over 20 years. Oh, wow. That's a great night. That's a treasure. Yeah. And it just, and so I, I, you know, he died the year before my older son was born. And so I brought my kids in and said, this is, you know, kind of so they could meet up. I'm getting a little teary eyed. I should. I I love that. That's beautiful though. It's so, that's so wonderful to have that. Okay. Last question. I'm asking everybody this because what's the last great piece of art that you have experienced? So this can be music. It can be actual physical art. It can be a great novel. It can be a TV or movie. What's Mm. something in the last year? It's touched you. Well, okay. Uh, it's not out yet, but the story of the book that our friend Coulter Jackson is coming out with, we're really excited about And She's an illustrator and, and um, she had a previous book that um, I also absolutely love. It's a children's book. Um, but they're kind of um, elevated uh, subjects uh, that are, um, like the first one was about empathy specifically. It's called yeah. Elephants Make Fine Friends. And then this new one is called The Rhino Suit. And it's about um, how sensitive she was as a child and um, just uh, how we, you know, build these exteriors around ourselves to protect, and, ourselves. And to protect ourselves instead of dealing with some of the emotions that we're feeling. And um, I love that she's exploring um, these topics in uh, the form of children's books because um to make uh, you know subjects like that that are a little more elevated accessible to kids um i think it's really important to teach our children at a young age um things like that so uh, her book comes out in uh, on march 8th i think um and her name is Coulter jackson i think more most things i've absorbed have been uh um books this past year or past couple of years um just, you a fiction fan or what kind of books do you like i like a, I like a lot of things like i found um um the parable of the sower i think is what it's called i'm pulling octavia, it. Butler? octavia butler is one that i found that i've been really in love with 
um, but also um, like reading um, What Happened to You, which is a book by that Oprah put out with uh, a guy named uh, Bruce Perry. And that talks about um, um, childhood trauma um, and how like most of our trauma stands from like being like basically the younger you are, the more impression the trauma can have on you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the whole thing. And the fact that when we see see a child, especially acting out, our, our reaction is to say what's wrong with them instead of asking what happened to you, because it's a reaction to something that happened to them, not uh, something that they're implementing at the moment. They're usually not even aware that they're having this reaction, especially with people with PTSD and things of that nature. Something that is in their brain is triggering this reaction. And that was really kind of like a, and to quote Oprah, it, it is her book, but like an aha, sort of like, oh, when you turn that uh, perspective, it makes a lot of things make more sense. And it also has helped me personally in the sense that when somebody is coming at me with anger, I can identify it as not something personal to me, but more of being like, hey, what's going on with you? Like, I didn't do this. I didn't cause this to happen. And to be able to step back and say, hey, buddy, what happened? What happened? Like, where, where, where are you right now? And where is this coming from? Let's talk about it. You know? Absolutely. In fact, I, uh, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. One of my good friends, um, she's Jewish and she shared the story, I'd never heard it, you know, I haven't lived in Lincoln since 93, but uh, a new rabbi had moved to Lincoln from New York and almost immediately in their new home, they started getting these hate phone calls, you know, this before the internet and say terrible things and hang up on them. And they figured out that it was some guy, apparently back then the grand wizard, the KKK Mm. uh, lived in Lincoln, great for my hometown, but, uh, it turned out, so the rabbi would call him back once a week and say, I'm sorry, you're so hateful. You know, what's going on in your life? And this went on for a while. And so finally, the guy called, he'd hang up on him for a long time. Like that was the thing. But he finally called him back and said, I'd like to see you. And his, the rabbi's friends was like, don't do it. The guy's going to kill you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it turned out the guy was disabled and he had been abused. And when he saw the rabbi, he like cried and it got, they made such a connection and stuff that when he, this guy died like a year and a half later from all of his health issues, the racist guy, he uh, actually, they had the ceremony in the synagogue Wow! and all these people. So to your earlier point, yeah, sometimes we just don't know where people are coming from and why they, why they're hating. And also like, if we can lead with love and try to foster that in our communities and with each other, if we can try to have more compassion, um, I think we'll make a little more headway as a human race. And I think that people act out too, because of something that happened to them and that's where it's coming from. And so when we, we can approach it with compassion, even though, you know, you want to when someone is doing something mean to you, your reaction is to stiffen up, you know, and to, to be like, you know, combative. And that's not helping things right now either. So it's just like, we can actually be like, Oh, Hey, let's talk. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's, let's find the root of it. And, and, you know, then if we can get to the root, then, then, then we have the chance of actually making change. And um, to the point of, of even our song as ghost ghost stories, you know, we wanted to pull the lens back and come from that lead from the heart and not talk about someone specifically, um, but to let the, you know, 
talk about a larger story um, and how this is a systemic problem and um, we need to root out some of these problems in society that are, you know, basically racist, classist, capitalist. Kind it's, of, we're um, acting out. It's an acting out thing. And that's how we need to approach it. Instead of being like, you're wrong for acting out and you're not, you know, following the lines of what we've created as a society. If we actually take the time to be like, this is this is coming from hurt and fear. Let's talk about why you have that. So that way we don't have to give give the power to it anymore. That's that's how you can kind of take take out it yeah. and then imagine something that it and put a better system in place that works for everybody instead yeah. of just a certain group. Absolutely. I mean, that's we got pretty heavy in there, but I, I appreciate it a lot. I was just going to tell you, I, I just finished Robbie Krieger's autobiography, which was actually oh. really interesting, but, you know, quite a bit different. But if you're looking for somebody who had a crazy rock and roll life. Cool. Yes. Oh, oh, uh, one of our favorite podcasts that we listen to, no, not to say, yeah. not besides your own. Um, what was it called? The, in... the Ballad of Billy Balls? Yes! Billy Balls! Thank you. Thank you. No, Bobby. <laughs> oh, you just got Whitmored like so hard there. <laughs> <laughs> you got a verb. With the Whitmore Center. <laughs> that, that was a really, uh, really fascinating uh, podcast. That was incredible. That I'm was like, check it out. It just kept like kind of be like, wait, whoa, 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 what? You know? It was no, good. Let's check it out. Uh, well, you guys, it's been a lot of fun. Also, I was just going to say, I'll say hello to you. I'll come to your knucklehead show. Yeah. Say hi. That would be awesome. Kind of reminds me of the old Liberty launch, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. A little bit. All right. Y'all take care. It's a lot of fun. Amy. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Gonna talk now. You're gonna take it in. The Whitmore Sisters, everybody, are a ton of fun. And that kind of gives you an idea why I do the podcast the way that I do it. Certainly talking about long-haul COVID, had no idea. Those stories need to be told. Um, and also, when I asked for the book recommendations, that got pretty serious too, but those are good things. Things to contemplate. You know, my uh, wife's grandpa used to say that kindness does not cost a thing. Man, we could use a lot more kindness in the world these days, right? So thanks so much to the Whitmore sisters. Down in the show notes, links. Lots of links. Check them out. Also, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to Knuckleheads. It's going to be spring by then. See, the numbers are uh, already coming way down, so that's good. If you got nothing going on this night, uh, I'm actually playing at Our House KC, which is down on 39th Street. They're great. 6 to 8 p.m. Old man hours. 6 to 8 p.m., man. I'll be home in my Jimmy Jams like 9.15 latest uh, with my buddy Matt Furman acoustic duo is called Flatwater uh, I put that in the show notes too so you can follow us if you want hey that's it for this time but next week just one week from today we are going to be back with Rain Perry uh, Rain Perry crazy life like crazy cool but crazy life and not only does she have a new album out where she's going to touch a subject that's uh, talk about a third rail <laughs> Uh, race in this country uh, God love her That's uh, not easy to talk about But she did a great job with her new album called The White Album And then she's also got this podcast It's fabulous I'm like way into this podcast now So uh, one week from tonight Check her out 
Until then, go out, support live music, and we'll talk real soon. Bye-bye.